conservative, constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. Welcome, everybody, to an amazing Wednesday here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooper Writer. We got a full day for you. We're going to be talking about JCP. Uh, S's teachers unions pack is spending uh, has pledged a hundred thousand dollars to be contributed into four races that they deem as important. We'll go over what those races are and exactly why that means you should be voting for the other person in that race. Hello. <laughs> if the teachers unions are supporting somebody that should be your best indication that that is not somebody you should support. But anyways, uh, so we'll have that. We'll talk about these on the subject of schools, uh, the school choice fight. Obviously, we've got these two amendments filed and why it may not happen, why this may not pass. We'll be digging into that as well. We've got some uh, updates on the Ford battery plant, new EV charging station in Richmond. We'll be going over that uh, and so much more today here on the Andrew Cooperator Show. As always, you want to reach out to the show, catch out old shows, head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. But before I dig into all these wonderful stories, I do have a little bit of a success of sorts, an update. Well, or really, is it government working the way it should? So last week, I spoke about John Hodgson's bill to update House Bill 509. And if you would remember in that bill, if you can't remember that episode, what John Hodgson was doing in the bill was he was uh, asking for all emails uh, and in government emails. So basically, if you're on a board, a commission, a government employee, anything, you'd be issued a government email. And then those would be available, of course, for open records reports, but personal devices, personal emails would not. Only government owned devices and emails would be open for open record searches. But it would be against the law for government employees to conduct official business, business that should be available for open records reports on their personal devices. And I mentioned that that part I didn't have as much of an issue with. I know uh, some people uh, obviously still want want to have access to those uh, private communications, but at the end of the day, those are private communications. Uh, that is a citizen talking to possibly another citizen, not as much of a government employee. You know, your your text messages on your personal device with your daughter or your kids or your parents shouldn't be open for, of course, uh, scrutiny or for people to dig into just because they file an open records request with the government. I think we should uh, all agree there. You even rank and file members do deserve some privacy. And uh, so I did talk about that, but also in the bill, it was seeking to redefine what documents would be available. And I gave some examples of documents and open record documents I had received uh, when uh, that this bill would appear to outlaw and make not available anymore. And so I, I talked about that House Bill 509. And I was able to have a discussion with John Hodgson after that. And, uh, you know, he had offered beforehand, in, in all fairness to him, in honesty to John Hodgson, because, you know, I, I want to congratulate when somebody does the right thing. And John Hodgson here has done the right thing. Now, beforehand, he had said that he did not believe, and I mentioned this, that his bill uh, 
would uh, address or remove any documents that would be normally available. Well, after uh, some discussion and and some updates from me on that, uh, as well as, I guess, a few other citizens, Hodgson decided that the bill would end up limiting things that are currently available through open records reports, uh, and that was not his intent. So he has said he will revise the bill to just be the first part, the part that says that any government employees, government actors, people on commissions and boards, they need to be issued emails, government emails, and then those will be open for open records requests. And, and you know, John gave some examples of why that's important. One example he gave is, you know, you take a, you know, a county fair board or county parade board even like you know oh i'm on the uh, uh jesmond county winter parade board I'm not, does jesmond county do a winter parade i know richmond does because i go to it every year so richmond winter parade board and that's a complete you know normally i would assume a volunteer position that's unpaid and so you know who wants to volunteer for that while also now opening up their personal emails and and uh, telephone communications to be available for open records requests because they're volunteering to help out their community on a government board. And, you know, that's a good point. And I think there's merit there. And if you don't, I mean, I challenge you really think about that. I think there's merit there. And so that part will stay. And I agree, but also you're not to be communicating with about pri about government matters on non-government devices or email addresses, which I also think is good. So yeah, keep it. Hey, don't talk on your personal stuff. Keep it on company, uh, on on state uh, accessible things, and and that'll be open. And if you remember at the national level, this is why what Hillary Clinton did. You know, people talk about Hillary Clinton and Trump and Biden. Understand what Hillary Clinton did with that email server is far more insidious, uh, far more wrong, just on its plain surface wrong, than anything that Trump or Biden did when it came to classified documents. Because remember, Hillary Clinton was emailing off a private server, but people don't often talk about why she was emailing off a private server. And this is why she didn't want her emails to be available for open records searches and open records requests from citizens. So she was uh, uh, conducting official business on a private email server in order to keep you, the public, out of it. So simultaneously saying you're you're going to get these government uh, uh, materials, but also you're only going to be communicating on these government uh, emails or, or government devices if you're talking about these things is fine. And and that's exactly, and, and we can catch people doing the wrong thing when they do, because obviously we caught Hillary Clinton doing it at the national level. And so, but this is the way, this is, this is how government's supposed to work. This is how citizens are supposed to work. Somebody proposes a bill, and it appears that John had good intention with the bill. John Hodgson had good intention with the bill. He heard an outcry from citizens like you, like me, and he said, oh, I need to make a change, and he made the change. That's how it's supposed to work. So I want to say good on you, John Hodgson, Representative Hodgson, for doing that. And good on you, citizens, for staying engaged and making sure you're talking to them uh, about those issues. I think that's very, very important that we have those communications because we do need good representatives. We need people in there that, you know, they they don't know everything. And if they propose something and a citizen has an issue with it, we need people that can take that in from their citizens. And when you don't do that, and when you don't encourage that, well, what instead you get is 
uh, horrible representatives that don't care about what the people think and want, but they end up saying, you know, because if we follow me here, right? If we treat our friends worse than our enemies, okay, our friends worse than our enemies, then what reason do you have to be our friend? You see, the other side, those with special interests, the the teachers unions, like we're going to talk about after this break, um, you know, the the uh, lobbyists, the big donors, all of them, when they're when the reps that they are do what they want them to do, if they do everything they want them to do, they give them money, they give them praise, they give them awards. They don't attack them and they don't say anything about them. They're like, yep, you're doing what we want you to do. And really, as long as they do what they want them to do, most of the time, they won't attack them. If, if, (laughs) if a lobby group says, Hey, you know what? He votes with us 90% of the time. They're not going to spend money in your race unless everybody else is voting with you hundred percent of the time. So, sorry, cough there. So we as citizens have got to keep that in mind. When we have a representative that does the right thing, like John Hodgson has done here, the right thing, we need to support them. And speaking of supporting good people for office, gosh, I got a tickle at the back of my throat today. I'm sorry about that, y'all. Jefferson County's Public School Teachers Union's PAC, it's a long title, is spending some money on some races. We're going to be digging into that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Ryder Show. You are back with The Andrew Cooper Ryder Show. Jefferson County Public Schools' Teachers Union, (laughs) they have a pack. And that pack, according this from Joe Sanka, who, by the way, he left Twitter and is only on threads. So I had to find out about this through people sending it to me so please make sure you if you find interesting things send them to me info at the show.com because i ain't on threads um i don't want to support that personally and it is a lot more um you know it, it, censorship heavy than twitter of course uh, but anyway so i i got this sent over to me here and this was from Joe Sonk, and he said, Interesting news from Kentucky's GOP primaries for State House. The PAC of Jefferson County Teachers Union reports spending 100000 total on GOP candidates in four races. Ed Massey in District 66, Debbie Pinden in District 29, that's an open seat, Representative Killian Timoney in District 45, and Diane Brown in District 69, who's running against incumbent Steve Doan. These are primaries for the state house. These are Republican primaries. Um, and so what's interesting is that, that, you know, at this point, you know, schools and, and Democrats across the state have really realized, I mean, th- it is not common for teachers unions to give money to Republicans like at all. In fact, Killian Timoney out of, uh, you know, Lexington, Nicholasville district there, uh, running for the running for reelection for the state house against one Thomas Jefferson, when the people that they say they're uh, helping, that's District 45. Um, he was, I do believe, in 2020, the only Republican in the state to receive money from the teachers unions. I could be mistaken, but I do believe that's accurate in 2020. And so, being or well only current office holder i guess to receive that money and so why is it that they're coming into this fray well because they can't get anything done through the democrats the democrats keep leaving and so losing sorry and they and i mean they have like 20 less than 20 seats in the state house so i mean you know you can't do anything with them 
They don't matter. They're irrelevant. So, of course, now the liberals are going to try to play in the Republican primaries. And they're going to start supporting those conservatives and Republicans that they think are the most moderate and liberal, or at least the most friendly to their viewpoints. And when we look at the voting history of people like Killian Timoney, and we look at the voting history of Ed Massey when he was in office, uh, we can see quite clearly that they are very much so friends of the teachers unions. Their voting history and record when it comes to school issues is right in line with where the teachers would want you to vote. Now, that's not a big surprise. Ed Massey, of course, came from a school boards uh, before he was a state house rep. And then Killian Timoney, who is working in the legislature while also apparently, I believe, still has a full-time job as the... Um, director of facilities or facilities director or deputy facilities director at Fayette County Public Schools. So, you know, Timney literally works for Fayette County Public Schools. And of course, they'll allow him to take off all the time he needs to for legislative reasons because, well, paying him a salary is cheaper and more effective than, you know, a lobbyist will ever be. And so they're going to dump this money in, which tells you exactly like, like, I don't, I shouldn't need to go into voting history. I shouldn't need to go into voting record. I shouldn't need to do any of that for you to be able to look at the fact that the, my enemies, the people who are against conservative values, the people who are pushing forward these crazy indoctrination. And if you think I'm wrong, head on over to the Jefferson County public schools is uh, teachers union, which is, um, a part of the NEA, uh, so it's a teacher's association. And if you go to their website and you look right there on their homepage, on their website, you'll see a racial equity tab. Like it's literally a tab on their website. It's, it's social and racial justice. And then when you click on it, right, uh, uh, their top there says social justice and anti-racist educator resources. So they're literally providing resources for this anti-racism, social justice, far left crazy things. In fact, they say right here, this is the, the teachers union whose PAC is dumping money into Republican primaries. And this is what it says. It says, our intent is to help our members begin, continue, and further their work to educate themselves first, it's all capitalized, and then bring anti-racist teaching to all grade levels in subject areas. We believe every child, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability, or religion, has a right not only to fair and just education, but also to see themselves reflected in the work they are asked to do and have their voices heard if anything on the list does not meet this intent please let us know and then it has anti-racist books to share with your students podcasts lessons people to follow via social media webinars other they're literally helping teach their teachers that are part of their union this dei diversity equity inclusion craziness and so the exact people that they're dumping money behind in Republican primaries, that should be your voting guide for who you shouldn't vote for. But on top of that, I think their money and time here is extremely wasted. The very makeup of our state legislature, you know, when you get into the state house and state house races, if you can get about 30-ish thousand or so, maybe 50,000, I'd say probably right around 50 or so, 
is where you hit a point of diminishing rate of return. And so what that means is, is that, you know, money can buy elections until a certain point. The best example I can give you on this is if we look at the presidential election and we look at Joe Biden and we look at Donald Trump, who will probably face off. If Joe Biden ends up raising a billion dollars and Donald Trump raises, let's say, 800 million. Yeah, that's 200 million in difference of money. But in actuality, that is substantively not that much different. Like, I know it sounds like a big number, but when it comes to running elections, it's, it's what more are you going to get for it, right? Because you have states that are pretty heavily red. You don't need to spend a lot of money on it. And so you end up fighting in states that are toss-up states, which there's like, what, maybe at the most 10 to identify. 80 million a state is a lot of money. <laughs> it's just a lot of money to spend. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got 85 million in state, 90 million in state, 100 million in state. If you've got 80 and 100 million, you can still get your message out. We saw this most recently in the Republican primary for governor where uh, Kelly Kraft spent like 12 million. And meanwhile, um, you know, Daniel Cameron spent only like two. But Daniel Cameron won. Why? Because he had enough to get a message out and a argument out and his arguments and message was more persuasive for whatever reason. It could be the Trump endorsement, could be a lot of things, but was more persuasive than Kelly Kraft's arguments, even though she had 12 million. So he had enough to make sure he got several arguments into people's hands. And as long as you have enough to make sure every voter going to the polls is going to get an argument or two from you as why they should vote for you. It comes down to quality of message, quality of argument more than money. But if you don't hit that money amount, if you don't hit enough, so like in the governor's election, it's probably right around a million, million and a half. If you don't hit at least that money amount, enough to make sure every voter in the district knows your name and knows what you stand for, whoever that is, then money can buy an election. And in a state house race, you only have three, four thousand or so. A lot of times primary voters showing up to vote three to four thousand. And so that's why, you know, much beyond 50,000, it's really hard to get a good rate of return on that that even really matters. And so the reason why I bring this up is dumping twenty five thousand dollars into four state house races. It sounds like a lot, but really if they're already going to be pulling in 75, 100K into those races, your 25 grand would be better off spent in like a Senate race because Senate races, now using that same logic, a Senate race's diminishing rate of return probably is at about 150 to 200,000 because you have three to, three to four times as many voters showing up in those primaries. And so those dollars, you know, you're stretched over more voters. Now, there's some you know, things to that, that change, mainly TV ads, the cost to run a TV ad, for example, for a, a Senate district in central Kentucky is the same as running a TV ad for a house district because you're running on the same stations. You're just catching less voters, but mailers, you know, digital ads, text messages, all of that gets significantly cheaper when you have less people to reach out to. So I think from a tactical standpoint, this is a bad idea because your money won't mean as much. And also too, who are you supporting is awful. Ed Massey already lost that seat as an incumbent to Steve Rawlings in Northern Kentucky two years ago. What's changed? I mean, he didn't just kind of lose. Like Steve Rawlings took 66% of the vote. 
I won Boone County as well. And the entire House district is in Boone County. I won it when I was running for state treasurer because the party there is very conservative and has a good control over the base voters. And by control, I mean they have the ability to reach out to them. And who that party there supports, whether it's publicly or not, is a huge difference to what that vote ends up turning out at. It's very hard to buy that election when you do have a large grassroots group there that will go out and knock doors, will go out and talk to people and tell them who to vote. Then you go over here to Lexington District 45 with Timney. Timney's got such a bad voting record that as long as Thomas Jefferson raises 20, 30 grand or so and can get a message out about Timney's voting record, Timney's in big trouble no matter what he says. Also, you know, at least when you look at that Ed Massey race in Northern Kentucky, he's running against TJ Roberts. TJ Roberts, um, you know, he's been around politics for a long time. He's got things there where he's talked to people and gone on the record on things that you could twist and manipulate to make it say certain things. Thomas Jefferson, though, running against Timoney, I mean, that guy's, I, I don't know what you could find to attack him on. And so, I don't understand why they're dumping this money in. I think these races are pretty much foregone conclusions. Well, coming up after this, we'll be digging into a little bit more on school choice. Will it happen? Will it not? You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. I am sorry to say that our legislature, our leadership in the House, is apparently being run by a bunch of high school students, <laughs> high school girls that are more worried about their personal feelings, are more worried about uh, high school-type politics, weird cattiness, than they are worried about doing what's right for Kentucky, than they are worried about doing what's right for us. You're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And school choice, we've been talking about it. You've heard us discussing it. And in fact, school choice, what seemed to be a foregone conclusion that this was going to be passed. When this session started, everybody was saying, leadership in the House, leadership in the Senate, everybody was saying that there would be some constitutional amendment that would be passed and proposed this year that would go onto the ballot in 2024 so that way we can finally overcome our state Supreme Court rulings that have said that school choice can't happen here in Kentucky. That's unconstitutional according to our current state constitution. With that in mind, there was two bills filed. One by Josh Calloway that uh, is far superior. Um, and, and when I say superior, let's keep something in mind, okay? There's this mindset when you pass a law that if it's only 80% of what you want, 70% of what you want, that's better than nothing. Because you can always go back in later and make adjustments, make improvements. You know, if, if something isn't working quite right, you can then adjust that, so on and so forth. But we're talking about a constitutional amendment. And constitutional amendments are very, very hard to change. Constitutional amendments, they get proposed. Well, they're easy to change while they're in the House and Senate. But once they get passed by the House and Senate, they then go to a re ballot referendum where you and I on our ballots in November will get to vote yes or no on these constitutional amendments. That'll be our opportunity. And 
once that's happened, it's now in the Constitution. And if you want to change that, you then have to go back through and get the populace to also vote and agree with what you're pushing forward. So it's important that when we put this out, when we put out this constitutional amendment, we get it right. And I'm not going to pretend both are perfect. You know, the, Josh Calloway's is far superior. Um, the only issue with Josh Calloway's, it's not what it functionally will do. Josh Calloway's just has some language in it that with this horrible state Supreme Court we have, even though we know what the intent of this is, and the intent is to allow full and complete school choice to be voted on in Kentucky, to be allowed to be handled, even though we know that's the intent, and even though that's what people are going to the ballot box to vote on, somehow, and some of the wording in there is a little bit loose, and so somehow the state Supreme Court may find a way to go around a duly passed constitutional amendment to you know, get around that and still keep school choice as unconstitutional. Now, I got to be honest with you, they can do that like no matter what, okay? Now, it's harder if it's wrote better. I've heard that argument on it, and I, you know, I hear you. I agree with you. But at some point, we got to just say, this is a problem. Yes, you can write better legislation to make it clear, to back them into corners, so on and so forth. But this is also a problem with our state Supreme Court, and that we as voters got to vote better. And also, we got to take a good hard look at if the House passes a constitutional amendment that was agreed upon. And then the Supreme Court goes, no, 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 no. We're going to ignore everybody's intent in this process and make up our own intent. You know who can impeach Supreme Court justices? The state legislature. And maybe it's time they start doing that. To make it clear that interpreting your own law about something that everybody else looked into is wrong and not allowed to do, and is morally corrupt, and makes you a horrible person and a bad judge, <laughs> right? But anyways, anyways, putting that to the side. So it's not necessarily perfect, but it's far better. And the reason why it's better is because it doesn't allow something that Suzanne Miles' bill, which uh, she has filed, which is House Bill 2, which by the way, House Bill 2 um, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 co-sponsors. But House Bill 208 has 30, okay? Now, what it does uh, and, and why it's so much different than it is, it's a little bit shorter of language, um, but it doesn't. Uh, it allows there to be open discrimination based upon area. It allows them... Uh, the ability to not offer school choice to everybody. It leaves open a lot of doors as far as that goes. And it's so bad the way that that amendment is wrote that people who are huge school choice advocates are saying they wouldn't support this piece of legislation. That they would vote no on House Bill 2 because it's a step in the wrong direction in their opinions. And this is legislators. This is, you know, citizen activists on this issue. It's a step in the wrong direction for them. And they believe that passing this would be a mistake because, of course, it's, a, it's not a bill. It's a constitutional amendment. You can't really change it. And, and, you know, people talk about compromise and finding common ground. When it comes to constitutional amendments, you can't have that. But you have Josh Calloway's bill, which enjoys way more support, has way more co-sponsors, is supported by the grassroots of this effort, and no legislator that would vote on House Bill 2 has said they wouldn't vote on House Bill 208. 
superior bill. But why won't that one be the one that moves forward? Or why are we at a stalemate here where they may not have the votes for House Bill 2 because people who support 208 won't support House Bill 2, but 208 won't get called forward? Well, it's because our leadership is a bunch of high school girls. And I'm calling them as I sees them. And you can be as offended by this as all you want to. But you know what? I'm laying down the facts here for you because this is it. They don't want Josh Calloway's bill to move forward because it was sponsored by Josh Calloway. And this is a problem with our entire system. They don't like Josh Calloway because last session, he stood up to them on behalf of the kids. And he didn't just stand up to them and say, look, you know, I disagree with you. We need to be standing up for our kids. He stood up to him and said, I disagree with you. We should be standing up for our kids. And I know that you've told us to be quiet on this, but I refuse to. I will not allow kids to continue to be attacked in our schools. I will not allow continue to allow our public schools to be indoctrination facilities. I will not allow minors to get life-altering surgeries, to take chemical castration drugs, to permanently change their entire lives. I will not allow that to continue because we're not treating their mental health issues. That's what Senate Bill 150 was addressing. And he stood up on that and his push and his passionate plea on that is what Many people say cause Senate Bill 150 to even pass. But he said, I will not stand up for that. I will, I will not allow that to continue. And I know you don't want me to talk about it. And I know I'll face consequences, but I don't care. And he made that speech on the House floor. And leadership says, look, in their minds, you just publicly said you don't care whether or not we support something or not. So we have to make you pay. We don't want any of your bills to pass. We want you to be so marginalized. In fact, there's members of leadership, and you know who you are, and I know you listen to this, this member, that said there was a good bill, another bill that, that Josh Calloway had moving forward. And they've said that these people, Josh Calloway, will be so marginalized, he will not be able to get anything passed. We will stop him here and now. Nothing he writes will get passed. Because they're not concerned about you or me or good legislation. They're concerned about power and these little politic games that resemble more of a high school hallway than it does good governance of this state. And it makes a lot of sense that they'd act like a bunch of teenage girls. After all, their entire job is to win popularity contests. So it does make a lot of sense. But they need to get over it. Because this isn't about them. This isn't about their feelings. This is about good governance. And if you're a good person and a good legislator, you support good bills because they're good. Not because of who put their name on it, not because of who proposed it, not because of who pushed it forward, but because the legislation is the right thing to do and it should have nothing to do with who's sponsoring it. It should have nothing to do with your personal feelings to determine what's best for the people. It should be all about your principles, your beliefs, your constituents. That's what I got time for this uh, section. I know, passionate section. But we'll come back after this. We might finish up this discussion, cover something on EVs here in Kentucky. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you're back with The Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we were talking about school choice and why it may not happen because, well, nobody, nobody can get over themselves here, you know, especially leadership. They won't allow this bill to move forward. The good bill, House Bill 208, the bill that has the most amount of support, 
the bill that can pass the House. They won't allow it to come forward because they don't like who sponsored it because he had the audacity to challenge them last year on an important issue and they can't get over themselves. That's what we were talking about before the break. Now let's talk about what we can do about it. What you can do is you can call up to LRC, Legislative Research Center, and uh, the and leave a message for your legislator. So, And it's really easy to do. It isn't hard at all to do. So you can head on over and uh, to your phone there. If you want to pull out your phone, you can go ahead and call 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181. One more time for you now. 1-800-372-7181. Now put it in the episode description on all major podcasting platforms. Make sure you are listening to any shows you miss there. But give that number a call, 1-800-372-7181, and say you want to leave a message for leadership and let them know you know what they're doing. See, this is, they do these things because they think they can get away with it. They think we citizens don't realize what's going on. They think we're unaware that they're playing high school games with our lives, with our children, with our children's education. They think we're unaware of that. But you know what? We need to let them know we know exactly what they're doing and it's wrong. And so you need to call them up and leave a message. Say, I want to leave a message for house leadership. And leave a message something like this. Stop messing around. Stop being a bunch of high schoolers. Support House Bill 208 and allow it to be brought forward for a vote. You need to get over it. Get over your hate for Josh Calloway and allow House Bill 208 to come forward for a vote. That's what we need to say. We need to let them know. We know exactly what you're up to and we won't allow it. That's what's got to be said. Because I'm telling you right now, it needs to be addressed. And we can't let them continue to just act this way. It's absolutely ridiculous. Switching gears here a little bit from school choice. The Ford Battery Plant. Um, let's just, just recap here. So the Ford Battery Plant being put out in Hardin County. So in 2021... Our state legislature calls a special session uh, that we all thought was to deal with COVID, but really, uh, based upon what Bashir said during a debate, that special session was had for Ford. And in this special session, your legislators, without knowing what they were voting for or who they were giving it to, all they knew is there was this project on the site that was supposed to invest at least $2 billion. And that's all they knew. They had no idea what they are building, the company, what would be made. And, uh, but despite that, your legislators, other than a very few, select few, voted yes on giving $410 million, 410, almost half a billion dollars towards this project without knowing who was building what, what they were building and what they were going to do based upon a promise that they're going to invest this money and bring 5,000 jobs. Remember the promise was they're going to bring 5,000 jobs. And then after the bill passed, we find out that it's the Ford EV battery plant. And everything was all hunky-dory. In fact, Ford had a big thing up at the Capitol for all the legislators and governor. How nice. 
I mean, they gave you nearly half a billion. All you had to do was spend two or three billion in Kentucky, right? Two or three billion, by the way, that was given to you by the federal government to build battery plants in the southern United States. Just in case you all didn't know that. They got the money to build the plant from us. And then they got the $410 million also from us. We say, look, Andrew, it's okay. It's going to bring in jobs. These 5,000 jobs, $410 million, it's a big investment. We're going to be bringing in EV. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Well, then it came out, and this now according to FordAuthority.com, I'm referencing this article here, that due to slowing demand in EVs, that they're still going to build two EV battery plants at the site, but it'll only start operating one in 2025, at least for now. And so rather than hiring the 5,000 they originally planned, they're now only going to be hiring 2,500. Half. So already the promise of 5,000 employees may not come out. And what your legislators voted to give $410 million on, untrue. They said, well, you know, it's 5,000 jobs. It's a big get. It's EV. This is nice stuff. Untrue, 2,500 now. Well, the problems continue for Blue Oval SK Battery Park in Hardin County as there's a new dilemma, which is mold. <laughs> Apparently, when you do business with countries overseas, because remember, Ford isn't doing this alone. They're doing this with a South Korean battery manufacturer. And... This equipment coming from South Korea has been coming in these wooden crates, and it would appear that there's some kind of mold in these wooden crates that, according to FordAuthority.com, has created, a, it's a significant amount of mold in these crates, and it's creating um, Ford workers, tradespeople, EV battery plants, uh, to be sick with headaches and respiratory issues, which is what prompted the response. So, so basically, a bunch of electricians, tradespeople working on the, the site started becoming sick with headaches and having respiratory issues. So they came out to do a, a little bit of investigation, Ford did, and found a significant amount of mold, or the construction company, doesn't matter, but mold was found, not by the government. And the mold was found both in the air and on wooden crates shipped from Korea containing factory equipment, at which point an environmental contractor recommended a mold protocol be put in place as soon as possible. And now OSHA has gotten involved and is conducting an investigation into the matter. Now, let me ask you this. Can we really trust OSHA to handle this investigation properly? I mean, honestly, right? Now, you can make an argument. Is OSHA good or bad or whatever? And, and that's not really important. What's important is OSHA's job is to make sure that these work sites are not hazardous. Protect the workers, right? But we forget that OSHA is a government entity. And the government has $3.5 billion tied up in this. And if this mold claim means this factory won't happen, it will make Joe Biden, it will make Bashir, it will make a whole lot of Democrats and some Republicans, especially our state legislators, look really stupid and like they've wasted a lot of money and time and like this job is just falling apart. And so can you trust to OSHA come out with a good investigation? No. You can. I don't. And you, I think you'd be a fool to trust whatever OSHA has to say about this. The government's got billions of dollars wrapped up into this program. You think they're going to give you an honest assessment? What were you born yesterday? Now, what's funny is, is that uh, uh, according to the Louisville-based Able Construction, which is a contractor working on Blue Oval, the, the uh, executive vice president for that said that the mold found, though, was not hazardous. 
Which is an interesting claim, considering the fact that the entire reason why you were investigating for mold in the first place was because people were coming down with respiratory issues and headaches. No, no, no. The mold's not hazardous. We only found it because people were, you know, getting sick from it. But it's not actually hazardous. I mean, what does not hazardous mean to you, Mike, guys? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, there was, you know, people were getting sick. They're having headaches. Enough so, and enough people... That uh, it prompted us to investigate, and we found this mold that was causing it. But don't worry, don't worry. It's not hazardous. We really, really promise. Kind of tells you what OSHA's going to come up with, right? But he said, regardless, a mold re uh, remediation company will be on site in the near future. And uh, they put in place some protocols to protect the place. But they can't have this story. You know, Bashir's got something to push. And so Bashir decided to go to one of the kind of the strangest groundbreakings ever, smallest groundbreakings at least, and that was putting in an electric vehicle charger at a Circle K in Richmond. And this is from the Richmond Register, uh, that Annie Bashir was at a groundbreaking ceremony to uh, install an electric charger that was put in at Circle K. Now you may ask, why is Bashir at a groundbreaking ceremony for an electric charger? Well, it's because the government basically paid for it. According to the article, 80% of the costs covered through a grant. So now we're just installing electric vehicle chargers for Circle K so they can make all the profit off of them. And by profit, I mean, I mean, they're stuck there. I mean, if you're a gas station selling snacks and treats and other things, yeah, I want somebody who's stuck here for 20 minutes. Of course, they're going to come in. They're going to buy drinks and everything else. The government's going to pay for it. Sign me up. Sign me up. It just makes you wonder how much of our tax dollars are they going to waste making this EV dream happen before they realize that allowing the private industry to set the pace, to set the way on this would be the go-to thing. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.